listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican American and Latina Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican American Studies. Join us for this episode of Latin Experts. I'm Rachel Gonzalez Martin, and I'm speaking with my colleague and friend, Belen Lopez. And we're going to be talking about racist language, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually really interesting that we should probably say that we're going to be saying a lot of things that seem funny and sound funny and probably were funny when we were little. But there's something much deeper going on. And so we kind of have to pay attention. So I think that's, Belen, what do you think? Should we, do we have to add any more caveats for our, our, our Latino listeners or everyone listening about what we're doing? I, I think you summed it up just perfectly because they are beaches that we grew up with, you know, that our parents said, our siblings that we've even used without even thinking. Absolutely. So I, I think we're going to have a great conversation. <laughs> but I also think that people are going to hear us laughing. And I know I'm laughing. And we both, you work on humor and language specifically. I have in the past. And I study tradition. And we'll get into that a little bit about our specializations and why this conversation is so interesting to us. But also that we have to remember across the board that sometimes laughing is a sign of discomfort. <laughs> and it's some, in many ways, how we deal with uh language that or ideas that that cause us a little bit of nervousness right so the idea that we'd be laughing doesn't mean we're taking it lightly and i think that's kind of i don't know i think that's important to say remind people the nervous giggles sometimes get us um maybe we should start with where we're coming from because i think one of the things that communities or especially highly educated communities or even just i don't know any community of people thinks that these kinds of racist histories don't belong to them or they belong to like an isolated part of the community and so why don't we kind of talk about where we're from because we're not from the same place we didn't grow up together right so assuming that our experiences are the same so maybe you could introduce uh, yourself Belem from the perspective of you know where you grew up or how you grew up yeah uh awesome thanks for that Rachel so um my name is Belem I'm originally from the Texas Panhandle, a small town called Canadian. It's in the middle of nowhere. My parents are both from the state of Chihuahua in, Me in Mexico. And I had, a, I think, a very similar upbringing to lots of folks. Uh, we did a lot of traveling back and forth. So I, made, I went to school during the school year in Texas. But every summer, I always joked that my mom, the minute classes were done, we were in the car heading to Juarez because <laughs> my family was on the border. And we'd spend summers there and every vacation. So it was kind of a, a mix of being in Texas, um, in the U.S. And at home, my parents made us speak Spanish. We, we weren't allowed to really speak English because um, my parents were terrified that we would lose our language. And I think that explains why I study Spanish-English bilingualism and language. Oh, my God, Belém. It's so interesting that you say that because my experience is, at least so far, is exactly the opposite because <laughs> I grew up in California. 
I envied everyone who was able to say like, oh, no, I was in Mexico last summer with my cousins or for Christmas we're going for a month or my parents are taking me out of school. I had none of that. I have no connections to like regular travel back um, to Mexico, even though my family is from Chihuahua as well and Nuevo León. And so I never went. And the exact opposite as well is that my parents were English dominant. And so we always spoke English. And in fact, my parents were Chicano. So the idea that English was very important as sort of this pushback about cultural assumptions of how American we were or where we belonged, like in school. Um, I think that's super interesting because I think we kind of have landed in similar places where we both have a particular kind of interest in language and in me in particular tradition. So the same reasons that you might focus on how people speak and in different ways of, of language use and how that affects people's minds, right? Their development. And I'm thinking about the ways in which people access community through verbal forms and material forms from Latino communities, right? Because I'm grasping at a connection um, and you seem to be deepening your your knowledge of what you've experienced. Does that make sense? Does that sound? Yeah, that, that makes absolute sense. And, you know, um, I think we, I have to acknowledge that there was a privilege that my family had that we were able to go back and forth, you know, like that. I, I do want to be upfront about that. But also, I, there's been a lot of unlearning I've had to do mm. um, from going back. And I think we'll cover today a little bit. Yeah, um, with absolutely. The conversation. Yeah. Well, I think this idea of unlearning is really important, right? Because as we were talking before and I was thinking, you know, this is a funny conversation because there is a little bit of question about privacy and guilt with having a conversation about, you know, things that our parents or grandparents or tios and tias may have said that we now would identify as, as racist, right? And especially when we think about coming from a cultura with, where respeto is such an important part of how we treat our elders or how we ideally treat our elders and our families, the idea of, of calling someone out has all sorts of implications, I think, personally, right, whether what, whether we're, what we say is received well or not. And so I think that's, you know, some of the things that, you know, we'll be able to touch on, right, thinking about language and family, thinking about what do we do, right? We have this, this culture of respect, how do we, you know, is speaking out part of this narrative. But I was also thinking about, like, what we retain, right? So... I always felt so different from my grandparents' generation in particular. And I grew up with my grandparents in my home since I was little. But now I, I understand, and I was making fun, I understand why my grandpa put jalapeno and chile on everything. Like, I understand that now. I get it. Like, my, you know, there should be chile on your table, whatever meal you're eating, from, you know, from eggs in the morning to apple pie. He literally put chile on apple pie. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. I get that. This punch of flavor, totally. And even my grandmother, I always thought she was... I didn't understand her as a person. We're very different, very different culturally, very different, you know, socially. And I, but I get why she put on red lipstick. Like, until the day she died, she wanted to have her lipstick done. And I get that now, that sort of sense of pride and dignity and, and putting oneself together and the power of, of self-adornment, right? That all makes sense. But what doesn't is the racist stuff. What doesn't is some of the those the things that they would say, and I'm like, I can't take that with me, you know. So what do we think yeah. about? Like, what do we know about? Like, what do you remember from growing up? Because I think that's we have these really formative years and these formative memories of of normalized racism, right? Traditional racism, the things that just came with visiting family or hearing people tell stories or jokes, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, like, you know, as you were talking about your, your grandparents, I think about my my own abuelo. Um, he had to be, he couldn't leave the house without his tejana. Like, <laughs> that was, you know, he could not leave the house. And my, my Wait, abuelita, clarify for she, people that tejana is... <laughs> like a sombrero like yes. he, he okay. had to wear he always had to wear a hat and you know my own abuelita she if anyone came to her house she had to constantly be feeding them you know sure. like you know um but then some of the things that they they would say it's, it's like how you welcome people into your home but then you're completely marginalizing and you know pushing other people away with what you say um absolutely I I like it's, it's yeah, and I think it speaks to like how some of these things are so ingrained yes. that we even growing up we probably use them without even thinking about it and what it actually means. Oh my god, I think that's so true because I remember, I remember when I was, well, I was never allowed to date because I was, <laughs> I was a, a Mexican American teenager. I was never allowed to date, Same. but I remember you're <laughs> these ideas of conservative values. Um, I remember very distinctly being told when I was a teenager. And this is, again, I'm in an English-dominant household, very much assimilated, educated parents, but multi-generational. And so my grandparents were really still matriarch and patriarch of our everyday lives. And I remember being told that you don't bring home a black man. Like, you're not dating now, but when you do start dating, no. Like, you don't, you, you don't go out with, with black men. And I was at the time, you know, I'm just a kid. I'm like, write that down, whatever, you know, because I'm listening and I'm being respectful. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I remember being really confused. And I grew up in, in the Bay Area in California. So the population was definitely, you know, mixed, multicultural, African-American, Asian-American, Latino, Native, white. But like, you know, there was a huge spectrum. It wasn't like I grew up somewhere like in my brain. It would have been like we don't come from a small pueblito that's all Mexican or, you know, or Mexican immigrant. Right. There's not a clear sense of those lines. But in their minds, there was a very, a very clear sense of what was okay and what was not okay. But no one ever explained it to me, you know. That's very interesting. And I think uh, that can get us into, like, one of the things we wanted to cover today, like, yes. mejorando la raza. Because yes. I think that's what that that is sort of ingrained in, right? Like, we talk about what's part of the, part of the culture. Like, I was also never allowed to date, but that's, you know. Um, <laughs> that's a different podcast. Again, Mexican. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, for different reasons. But, like, I remember my, my grandparents and parents also saying, like, I know I can mejorar la raza. We have to improve the race. Like yeah. race needs to be improved. Yes. Um, and I and I think that phrase in itself is 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 de- deeply rooted in anti blackness, but also anti indigeneity. Yes. Um, you know, like have I I asked my mom about this conversation. She's like, no, that just has to do with intelligence. You know, you want your family to be more intelligent. Uh-huh. And I I had to sit there with her and I was like, really, mom? Like, really, Doña Lupe? She's, um, and I, it was, a, a you know, I think for her having to, like, take a pause and realize what she was saying. Sure. Or trying to explain what that phrase is, but... Yeah. I don't. Well, I think it's interesting too because so much of so yes, there's this 
there's you realize even the generations before us have accepted kind of this language as like no no it's not bad like i have neighbors who i call you know the 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 negrita or the negrito the loving a condescending term like it's not like that and you're like oh it is like that <laughs> but they ha- they also haven't been self-consciously thinking about it they've taken tradition they've taken what they've heard and run with it and they haven't really i mean in many ways we know this it's a privilege to be able to stop and think and have a time to sort of say oh what am i saying but i think for so many of us who grew up in the u.s in sort of these contexts where Race politics was something we heard about in school and in the news and on TV. And then we go home and there's this other race politics that's pervading our our family life. And it can be really stressful. Right. And I think one thing we 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 talk about racism and you can even say like, oh, well, if everyone's Mexicano, everyone's Latino, it's not racist if I talk about um, black hair or if I talk about you know, using a euphemism like trabajando como uh, negro or negra, right? Th- those are just part of, the, they're part of the community. It's like, well, what we're talking about then is this idea of colorism, right? That there's Absolutely. a problem with color. And I never, it took years to look back and think, how many times are we referencing people's skin tone as like a social value? And we were talking about yes. this before, about um, Yalitza Aparicio, Right. Yeah, and her recent op-ed on reclaiming the term Prieta, yeah. right? Which is, I you know, my my lighter-skinned cousins, that was my nickname growing up. And I, not until now, like, especially reading that op-ed, I'm like, yeah, like, I love being the Prietita in the family. But <laughs> as a kid, it was a little traumatic, right? Because sure. was, that, that was your value. That was how your other cousins saw you. Um, yeah. And... It has, you know, it has long-term effects because, you know, and from a personal account, I remember not wanting to be out in the sun anymore um, Uh, in the summer. And we we talked earlier about um, the summer before my quinceanera, I wasn't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to go on vacation, but I also wasn't allowed to play in my summer softball league because everyone was scared I was going to be too dark for my quinceanera. And what does that even mean? Too dark for your quinceanera? Like, how are those things together? Too dark to be seen? Too dark to be photographed? Too dark to be remembered with that skin tone? I mean, that's... <laughs> if you think too hard, you're like, what? It doesn't make any sense. Unless, it right? Yeah. Unless we understand yeah. that there's this whole symbolic system of the color spectrum as having this social value, right? I mean, even think about, like, the, the so-called positive stereotyping of being uh, la güera or el güero, Right? Oh, yeah. Like, you would prefer to be called, you know, la güera or el güero in the family as opposed to, like, prieta or, like, morenita. Right. Right, which tells us, like, how how our inner families maybe, like, there's a clear value to the color of your skin. And that is given, you know, preference or some sort of privilege when really that that shouldn't matter. Right. It totally right. shouldn't matter. Right. It, it shouldn't be a factor. It's somehow like you're you're saying that you were coming back to what your mom was saying. Right. Oh, no, it's about developing an intelligence and not even realizing when if we think about like, you know, when we teach our students and talk about racial hierarchies, you know, in colonial times. Right. This idea of those narratives that go from darkest to lightest. And we're like, we're not that far away from that when our families like still say, oh, you had mentioned this. This um, dicho is like uh, bonita, pero morena. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or like when you hear people reference babies, like, oh, yes. if a baby has blue eyes, oh, my gosh, it's, 
it's like an angel fall from heaven. And you're like, it's, it's a baby. <laughs> and they all look the same. Goofy, big eyes. We got it. But the same thing. I mean, this is weird. I have this weird shame. Uh, it's a weird shame um, that my little boy is very, very light. He is the whitest little Mexican on the planet. And my grandmother just cooed so much. His hair wasn't that dark. His skin is light. And to her, like, all she could say was how handsome he was. And I was like, like you said, he's a baby, right? But the idea of how early that praise comes and it's not necessarily it's part of it is what people don't say or not part of what people say, but part of what people don't say. Right. So the cooing over the light skinned baby, the light skinned little girl, the light eyed, you know, oh, they have, you know, the gray eyes or blue eyes. And then it's like the silence for the dark skinned child. And, you know, I I think one of the things that, that we need to think about is right. One, um. Why does what we say or don't say matters, right, to our families, right? Not even thinking about academics or in public, but, like, we absorb so much. So, you know, I'm going to have you put on your your professor hat for a second. I really want you to to talk to us a little bit about why does what we say matter? Or why do you think this matters? Wow, that's that's an excellent question. So I think with what we say matters because people add value to what we say. And the way we use language kind of sets our worldview, right? Like if, I, I'm going to use the baby example since that's the most recent example yes. we talked about. So when you talk about a baby, it's like, ay, que bonito está güerito. You're already saying that like, güero is beautiful, yes. right? But if, but then if you're talking about, say a baby, it's like, ay, está, more, está morenito, pero está bonito. Mm-hmm. You're adding a sort of caveat and saying like, oh, the baby's okay, beautiful, but it's still dark. And that, that gives value, right? Like you're, yeah. even if someone says like, oh no, I'm, I'm not racist. But with your language, you're giving value to someone's body. Right. It's, right. it's the superficial good. assumption of value. It, absolutely. And, and that matters. I, I think that really matters because, you know, as a young kid, if you hear, you're hearing these things, you start internalizing what beautiful is, right? And kids at a very young age are able to distinguish race, right? And they're going to learn this language. Absolutely. I, yeah, and I, I, I think in the long term, it, it, it affects how people even interact with other folks, right? And then if you get back to the phrase of like, mejorando la raza, yeah, um, you start hearing these phrases. And, and of course, I'm, I'm now I'm like, hmm, how can I put that into a research study? <laughs> but look, yes. Looking at um, people's even, like, dating preferences, right? Like, you might, you know, in the back of your head, we always have our abuelita telling us stuff. But how many of us have maybe heard that in the back of our head? I don't know. Abuelita's going to say, mejorando la raza, like, at Thanksgiving or, like, Christmas. And how is that going to affect your relationship? So I I think how we use language is important, especially when language is inherently racist. It's true. And I think part of and building on what you're saying, right? Like part of my work is really thinking about how how culture is transmitted from one generation or within a generation. And so even thinking about this idea of ambient racism, right? No one told you to your face maybe that you shouldn't date uh, an African-American person or someone with a darker skin tone than you, but you heard people talking on novelas. You heard your grandmother cooing at the white baby or kind of not t- talking around the skin tone of a darker child or making a comment about your summer tan, right? And so all those things are still part of your environment, right? And so I feel like this idea of how much these 
traditional forms. And you can even think like, because I'm not Spanish dominant, I'm definitely English dominant. Um, the idea that when something was said in Spanish, it had a different kind of weight to me. And so the idea of remembering you know, the dicho in Spanish, that even if I couldn't understand everything they were saying, I understood that. And so that becomes, again, this, this idea of setting a precedent in people's lives, right? And really in the social moment we're in right now, this idea of thinking about um, black lives as, as Latino lives, right? This idea of thinking about the convergence around our experiences that we don't even realize how kind of the setbacks we have emotionally and mentally because of sort of what we grew up with, right? Not even realizing our own bias, right? Um, and so I think kind of trying to round out our chat here, I think, what can we do? You know, we're smart people, Belen. We can figure this out. What can we do? What can we do with our families? Um, to try to push back on some of this inherited racism. Oh my goodness. I know, that's um, a big one, right? Total, no pressure, that, that is, no pressure. <laughs> no pr okay, I will try to solve this in the couple of minutes that we have, just kidding. Um, you know, we had this conversation earlier, we were like, well, from my perspective as someone who studies language, language changes, yes. right? And I think something that we can push for and maybe talk to our families is, is talking about how we can not use those phrases. I, and I know it's going to be hard, right? It's not going to sure. happen, you know, como se dice, aquí a la mañana. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, but it, I think it's going to take some time. And we had this conversation, too, of not necessarily, like, it's going to be hard to call out abuelita. I have to true. be honest true. about that, you know, because, you know, abuelita side eye is hard. It's true. Um, <laughs> we need her. But, <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, but I think having, like, frank conversations, and I was telling you about how in my own family when some, I started doing this more recently, if someone has a comment like, ay, está bonito, pero está morenito, kind of making a joke out of it and saying something like, oh, but si estaba güerito, lo ibas a querer más. So if the baby was lighter, are you going to love uh, it more? Yes, yes. You know, kind of calling it out because then, Calling it out in a way that's not harmful, and I don't know if that's the right word. Sure, or it's not offensive, or it's but, not, like, you know, we're, I think it's understanding tone, right, as someone who studies language, right? Understanding yeah. the nuance of what you're saying. And you talk about using kind of, like, snarky humor, sort of, you know, the idea if you're, I mean, culturally, you know, in our community, right, this idea of exchanging insults and humor, right? Maybe we play the game, right? Dig into traditional forms that um, can kind of be, let us push back, but in a way that is still kind of like a quiet side conversation rather than like full on, like embarrassing them. I, yeah, because yeah. I, yeah, especially, you know, coming in with like, at least in our families, coming in as academics. Oh, There's yeah. always that, like, oh, you're coming to tell me what to do. But really, yeah. it could just be a conversation, like, abuelita, ¿por qué dice eso? You know, and yeah. having, because I think having that pause and having folks really think about it helps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or even or even saying, like, you know, when, when I was a kid and you used these terms about me, it, it was hurtful in these ways. Yeah. Because I, I think having people own up to, like, how they could have been hurtful using language um can be a sort of a, a good way to engage, um, but not say, like, Grandma, you're racist. Um, no, I mean, you know. Then you might lose the conversation. Right. And if anything, if it's, you know, this is really important. We're not trying to win a conversation. I think this idea of leading with, like, compassion and still leading with respect, like, with this idea, you know, Grandma, 
I I love you, so I want to you know tell you this about something that you said or something my tío said or something my cousin said, and really understanding like you know whether you're college educated or you're just really aware. It, it, you know we're not thinking about you know mandating people's behavior, but understanding that there are high stakes for letting our community continue this these kinds of traditions unchanged. Right. And the idea that um, just like language, language is part of sort of our, our cultural heritage and our traditions has to change, has to be adaptable. Right. To keep up with the next generation. And I think we're at the moment in time where our next generation is saying, ya basta. Like it's done. Like we do not want we don't want to have this conversation hanging over our heads, so we need to change. And the only way that our communities are going to change is by these bit by bit calling out, you know, with respect, with cariño, right? But for the five-year-old in the room with dark skin to watch their 25 or 35-year-old cousin laugh along with a joke has a much more grievous, dangerous impact than maybe grandma's fleeting anger, you know, with our sassy tone. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was wonderfully said. Awesome. So I think we're out of time. So I I think it was really fun. I think we should try to do this again <laughs> and, yes. and keep having this conversation yes, because I think so much of so much of what we do just starts with opening up the dialogue and then letting people run with the ideas, the comments, the queries. Um, thanks mm-hmm. so much, B, for for. Uh, for having this chat with me um, and having this chat together for Latino Studies. Hi all, this is Ashley Nava Monteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page where members of our community are talking about their own experiences with racist family dichos. One follower shared how they've been trying to get their family to stop using the Spanish diminutive for black, such as negrito or negrita, as it perpetuates the trope of not seeing dark-skinned Latinx folks as someone they can take seriously and fetishizes them. They ask if others have experienced this in their own families and how they've dealt with it. Follow us at Latino Studies UT to keep the conversation going.